sinful for God to forgive. We may be thinking as we go through those names of five or six people who are far from God, and maybe there's someone in your life and you think, you know what, this person really needs to be saved. They are really far from God. And you know what, I don't really know if they can come to God. They're just too far gone. When we read this story in Matthew 9, it lets us know there is no person that is too far gone. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming is to seek those who are sick spiritually, who are bankrupt spiritually, and restore them. That's why He came. And behind Him is all the power of God. The same power that with the Word, creation came to be. That with the Word, dead rise again. It's the same power that is behind us. And so, let's look a little bit at Matthew. The Bible says, as we read this, that Matthew was a tax collector. In verse 9, it says that he was the one sitting at the tax booth. Now, in that day and time, there were uh, a sinner set up that if you were a seller coming to Capernaum, like in this story, that if you were to sell your goods, you had to go through this tax booth and you had to simply do sales tax. But it wasn't the buyer who uh, paid the tax, it was the seller who paid the tax, and so consequently, depending on where the tax was, they would jump the prices accordingly. So the big question is, what would the tax be? And it just depended on the tax collector. So if in your mind you could imagine someone rolled up in one, who was the IRS agent, a collection agency, used car salesperson, and spy. You got those four characteristics all rolled up in one person. You have an idea of the tax collector. Okay? The tax collector usually would, uh, the person who got that job was the highest bidder. But now in the Palestine area, they would get people who were of the nation. Remember, Rome is a, uh, well, they are the invading government. And so someone that cooperated with Rome was someone who was a spy who was working against the people themselves. And so his job was to say, you know what, you are the collection agency, you are the tax person for Rome, and you can set whatever wage you want. We just make sure we get this amount, and you can set the tax according to what you want. So they were driven by greed. So now you can understand how they were the used car salesman, tax collection agency, tax agent, and spy rolled up in one. When you were called a tax collector, you were called a fighting name. All right? It's something to be uh, fighting over. But nonetheless, that's exactly who Matthew was. And usually you'll find this title of sinners and tax collectors to identify this is like the worst of the worst of society. If you want to call someone a bad person, you would call them a sinner and a tax collector. They were not just the average Joe sinner. They were atrocious in their sin. And that's exactly who you've got. It just kind of occurs to me as I'm thinking about this. This is Capernaum. Matthew, he's he's the main tax guy for fish. And who's hanging around with Jesus? Fishermen. Peter. John. James. These, these are fishermen. And they're with Jesus. And they don't really probably like Matthew much. They've taken a good bit of their income and their family's income growing up. But nonetheless, here's Jesus. And he sees this man, Matthew, doing his job, sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. 
When Jesus is looking for those who will follow him, he's looking for folks who are just messed up. Messed up. And so the good news is that as I look over this group, we all qualify. We all qualify. We are the messed up ones. And Jesus is saying, follow me. And so when we see that Jesus is, when he responds to criticism and says, you know what? I've come for those who are in need of physician. I've come for the ones who know they're messed up and they need help. So when we think about that person who's far off from God and we think, you know, some, that person, I just, it's going to take a miracle for them to come to God. And, and that's exactly right. It's going to take a miracle, but God wants to perform those miracles in people's lives. And guess what? It's going to take a miracle for you to be right with God, does it not? Have we forgotten where we come from? It takes a miracle for us to get right with God. And so the barrier of saying, you know what, I, I don't know if I can do that. that these people that I know, it's going to take a miracle. And that's what God wants to do. And so, so when we think about that, look at Matthew. He led a sinful lifestyle. Jesus loved Matthew in spite of his sinful lifestyle. Jesus loves that one that's in your life. There's five or six that you've written down. Understand, Jesus loves them. He wants them. He desires them for his own. He wants them to know the forgiving, life-changing work of God. He wants to call them son. He wants to call them daughter. He wants to send his spirit to be in their life. He wants them to be a part of God's kingdom. Do we get that? Do we believe that? Do we understand that? And so, John 3.16 still applies. God so loved that person that He gave His only begotten Son that if that person would believe in Him, that person will not perish. That person can have eternal life. Now, perhaps a second barrier we come across. We say, you know what, Pastor... That'd be great for some folks to be Matthew. But the people I know, they're not interested in the gospel of Christ. And they're not going to respond to me. They don't want that. Let me just bring out something to you. Jesus was able to look into Matthew, and he saw Matthew's lonely life. He spoke to him. Matthew would have been wealthy, he would have been satisfied for the most part for the station of life that he's in. But he would also have been lonely. But Jesus was able to see past the facade. Do you understand that everybody has a facade? Everybody. I mean, who wants to walk around and say, you know what, I'm in a lot of need in my life. Who wants to walk around and say, will someone please save me? Looking like a, a puppy. Begging? People don't want to do that. So we all have a facade. And understand the people that you know, they're putting up an image and they're not telling you the truth. They're not telling you everything that is going on in their heart. Jesus was able to look past that, see that. And so when Matthew follows Jesus immediately, he invites the others, the other people that he knows is just like him. The tax collectors, the poor, the sinners. Let me just bring out something to you. And this is very important. Jesus calls people to himself. We have a tendency to call people to church. That's a big difference, isn't there? We're not calling people, because let me tell you, people are not interested in church. 
The fact that you're here this morning is evidence of God's working in your life. Because left unto yourself, you would not be interested in church. Think about it. Some people complain because they don't go to church. And I ask, well, why would they? They, have, they don't have a change of heart. Oh, I did have a seeker since the service. I'm like, well, they're not really seeking. I'm not calling people to church, and Jesus isn't calling people to church. Church happens because change happens in their heart. It is a, an outworking of that. I've talked to some, and uh, sometimes you can see people when they're coming, and they're just heard about church, they're just trying it out, and there's discomfort written all over their face sitting here in the pews. I don't know if you've seen that. I have an opportunity to look at people uh, as they're looking this way. And I can just see that there's just discomfort written on them. And I've talked to some of them. And they say, you know what? When I come there, people are talking about having family devotions. I'm trying not to scream at my kids. I don't fit in there. People say, you know, I get the sense that folks have convictions against drinking and they don't want to drink. And I drink. That's how I have fun. I don't, I don't, I don't fit in there. I, I, you know, folks don't watch certain shows and I like watching certain shows and I just don't fit in there. The things I do for fun are not the things that people do in church. I get that. I get that. And you know what Jesus does too? And he says, you know what? I'm not calling you to a church. I'm calling you to myself. I want to read a little bit of a memoir of uh, Anne Rice. Anne Rice was the one who wrote all these uh, vampire books. Uh, some of you are very familiar with that uh, Diary of a Vampire and other things. They just wrote a lot of, of books about that. Um, I don't agree with a lot of what she says, even now. Um, but she said some pretty amazing stuff a number of years ago when she talked about a major life change that occurred. She had, for most of her life, she grew up in a Catholic, uh, Catholic church, uh, became an atheist, and most of her life was, was an atheist. Um, but she wrote in her book, Called Out of Darkness, a spiritual memoir. Uh, she wrote this. I didn't care about the framing of the doctrine. I cared about him. And he was calling me back through his presence on the altar. He might have used the falling rain to call me back. He might have used the music of Vivaldi. He might have used the statue of Christ and Francis that was on my desk. But no, he used the doctrine of the real presence. And I surrendered to that doctrine because it was the way to him. He was what I wanted with my heart and soul. Go to him, I thought. Go to the Christ who is under the roof of your church. He's waiting there for you. Get up from the desk and go. Go to the Christ who is real and present. Go to him. In the moment of surrender, I let go of all the theological or social questions which kept me from him come for countless years. I sent them let them go. There was the sense, profound and wordless, that if he knew everything I did, not have to, that, it, that if he knew everything, I did not have to know everything. And that in seeking to know everything, I've been all my life missing the entire point. Do you feel like you can't go on until you know everything? Until you get this question answered? Sometimes what you don't know can ruin what you do know. No social paradox, 
No historic disaster, no hideous record of injustice or misery should keep me from him. No question of scriptural integrity. No moment over the fate of this or that atheist or gay friend. No worry for those condemned and ostracized by my church or any other church should stand between me and him. The reason? It was magnificently simple. He knew how or why everything happened. He knew the disposition of every single soul. He wasn't going to let anything happen by accident. Nobody was going to go to hell by mistake. That was his world, all this. He had complete control of it. His justice, his mercy were not our justice or our mercy. What folly to even imagine such a thing. I didn't have to know how he was going to save the unlettered and the unbaptized or how he would redeem the conscious a conscientious heathen who had never spoken his name. I didn't have to know how my gay friends would find their way to redemption or how my hardworking secular humanist friends could or would receive the power of his saving grace. I didn't have to know why good people suffered agony or died in pain. He knew. And it was his knowing that overwhelmed me. His knowing that became completely real to me. His knowing that became the warp and woof, woof of the universe which he had made. He was, after all, the divine mind which made the miracle of creation, created the DNA only lately discovered. He was the divine mind that created the sound of the violin, the Beethoven concerto. He was the divine mind that made snowflakes, candle flames, birds soaring upwards, the unfolding mystery of gender and the gravity that seemingly held the universe together as our planet, our single life planet, hurtled through space. It was basically understanding that this one was calling her. And she had all kinds of questions and reasons why she wouldn't be a part of the church. But she could not get past the fact that a creator was there and that Jesus was calling her that led her away from atheism to a follower of Christ. We need to understand the difference. There are many people who long to know more about Jesus. They're not so interested in the church. It's okay. We focus on Jesus. Let Jesus take care of the church. Do you understand that? We focus on Jesus. Let Jesus take care of the church. It's his. He created it. He orchestrates it. It's his. We don't have to defend the church. We must focus on following Christ and helping others to see Christ. Don't be so concerned about inviting people to church. Be concerned about them hearing the call of Jesus. There's a big difference. And that is the message that a lot of people around you want to hear. They just simply want to know about Jesus. And you claim name to Jesus. And so they're going to watch you. They're going to listen to what you say about Jesus. And so this woman, and she had problems with the various views, political views of the church and various things. It's just when she got past that and just said, you know, there is a God. And there is a Jesus. And I cannot mistake the fact that he's calling me. She admitted that much of her writing of vampires was about people being ostracized from God and church. And the vampire represented this. She's changed some of her writings since this time. Again, I would not agree with everything she says, but I cannot get past this because it's about Jesus. So understand something. We think, you know, folks aren't going to be interested in this. 
You just let Jesus take care of that. Here's something I found that has helped me. When I sense a burden to share and an opportunity to share with somebody, I have this faith. God knows this person. He has worked in that person's life. He will work in this person's life. And if I just make statement out loud to them about Jesus, it's going to echo what the Holy Spirit is doing internally in their heart that no one can see. And I join in with God when I have a burden and an opportunity to share and I do so. Does this make sense? Do you believe that these five or six people that God wants to work in their life. Do you believe that God is working in their life? If you believe it, it will give you a lot of confidence in speaking up. Believe that. Simply. So here's Matthew. Everyone would have written him off. Jesus says, follow me. He speaks right to the heart. And Matthew responds. And so we've got one barrier. When we think some people are too sinful for God to forgive, notice the story of Matthew, how that's just not true. And then we have the barrier that people are not interested in the gospel of Christ and will not respond. And we read Matthew 9, verse 9, and it says, no, that's just not true. Because he rose and followed him. Now here's a, a third barrier we come across. Sometimes we read that, we hear that video, you hear me talking about being a Matthew, and we say, well, you know, I'm not trained to tell people about Jesus. It's too hard for me. And we'll raise it up as a barrier. I, I can't do that. I can't talk about Jesus. It's too hard. I'm not trained. So we read Matthew chapter 9 verse 10. And we get quickly that Matthew did what we talked about. Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Why were they there? Because Matthew invited them. They were his buddies. What did Matthew know about Jesus? Not much. Not much. He had just responded to an invitation. And But what he knew, if he believed what he knew, he knew that God... Wanted him, though he was a sinner. He knew that. And that God could overcome that. And that if that was true for him, that was true for his buddies. You know what? He believed more than what many of us believe. That God could do that. And wants to do that. And so, Matthew didn't have to know everything. All he had to know was just one thing more than his buddies. That Jesus wanted them. Desired them. And so he invited his friends. When we, uh, when you're sitting here and you're hearing about this call to Matthew, and and you, and you hear me say at the end of this time, we're going to invite you to make a public commitment to be a Matthew. Perhaps in your mind, you start thinking, that'd be great for Jason to do. That'd be great for Jeff to do. I can see Trey doing that. I, I can see David doing that. That, that that'd be good and we start putting our mind the various church leaders and various forms and fashions in our church i think that'd be great for them to do i agree that would be great for them to do 
But let me just say this. It'd be even better for you to do it. It is the person who maybe is on the fringe, who comes on Sunday morning, but you know, they don't spend their life here. You are the most effective person to be a Matthew. You are target number one. You are the most qualified to be Matthew. And here's the simple reason why. Folks like myself, Mike, Jason, others, we spend so much time here, we have to look hard to find folks who are far from God. That's just the honest truth of it all. We spend so much time here that when someone asks us who's far from God, unless we make intentional efforts in our everyday life, we're going to say, well, you know what? There's there. The, oh, I spend all my time with folks from church. And that's why I say it's the person who is not absorbed with committee life in church that's most qualified because you still have a life. <laughs> I say that facetiously. We all have lives, all right? You have a life that involves people who are not believers. You're the one most able. Fact of the matter is Matthew was much more qualified than Peter at this point, or John. John had spent his time following John the Baptist. And then he follows Jesus. Matthew? Matthew still has tax collector friends. He's got his people around him. If you've got folks around you that are far from God, praise God. You've got opportunity to be an impact, to be an influence. And so I just want to encourage you in this, that, that you're the one who needs to hear this. The success of this work of My Hope campaign is going to be based on people who do not know, or who, people who know folks who are far from God, who are willing to say, I can be a Matthew. You're qualified. Matthew used what he had to introduce others to Jesus. And it probably was significant. He probably had a pretty nice home. He used his home, his food, and his relationships. Do you have those three? Do you have a home? Let me ask you, do you have a home with a TV in it? All right, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to raise your hand because I want you to get used to raising your hand. How many of you have a room in your house where the chairs are facing the TV? Raise your hand. Look, at, look, at, we got a bunch of folks who have a room with the chairs facing the TV. Why is the chairs facing the TV? I remember my dad teaching me that we go to home and we can find out a lot about people just looking at the home. You find out what's important to them. We got a whole room set up around the TV. Watching something on TV is important. I would just present to you that you could redeem that room. <laughs> Where it may be wasted in a lot of ways. That room can be eternal good. If you use that room for something like Matthew did. And say, I've got a nice TV I've got some nice chairs. I've got it set up just right. You probably have room for maybe six, maybe seven people. That's, that's probably a good number for you to invite. 
let's use this room to have folks come here. We're going to watch the video. Some of you watched the Defining Moments video. It's going to be a movie like that. Powerful, simple presentation of the gospel where you can share the gospel. You can be a Matthew. All you have to do is know one thing more than the people around you. And I'm going to tell you, the church leaders are not the best qualified because we're, we're searching, we're trying hard, we're making intentional efforts just to try to find folks who are not believers. Some of you thinking, man, I don't have to try hard. They're around me everywhere. You're the one. You're the one. It doesn't matter if you're not a church leader. I'd prefer you not to be. Matthew wasn't a church leader. He became a follower of Christ. But this is one of the first things he does. He did not forget his old associates. And he shared what he found in Jesus. It was a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. So, when we look at this barrier, I'm not trained to tell people about Jesus. It's too hard for me. I look at Matthew and I say, if Matthew can do it, you can do it. Some of you... Look at that, and, and you have the barrier. Well, you know, these folks, they're too far from God. If Matthew can do it, you can do it, because Jesus is doing it. He's seeking these. Some of us are thinking, well, you know, people are not interested in the gospel of Jesus. They're not going to respond. Look, Jesus is seeking them. Don't say no for someone else. Good cardinal rule. Don't say no for someone else. Let them say no. But just trust that Jesus is working in the life. It may be in the invitation that Jesus starts to work in this person's life. And then we have another barrier. Perhaps as we look at this, we'll think, you know, Pastor, if I do that, I'm going to be criticized. And I'm just going to be embarrassed. I mean, that lady found someone that she sees on a regular basis in the grocery store. Don't you know we don't talk to people in grocery stores? <laughs> Who made that video anyway? <laughs> we we look at that and they go, talk, she's really out there. But you know, the first thing she did wasn't just say, hey, we're going to have a group at our house, we want you to come. <laughs> That's a good way to scare everybody away. But she developed a relationship. It was simply, perhaps maybe... I see you all the time. I'd love to talk with you a little bit. I'd like to get to know you. We see each other all the time. Or maybe it's to talk about whomever she's buying food for. Why? Why don't we talk to people? Why don't we reach out and meet someone new? Most of us, though, we already have those folks in our life. Only folks who are, go to church all the time will have to grasp for people and the grocery stores. But many of you have folks around that you can do that with. I mean, we think, you know, I'd be criticized and I'd be embarrassed if I do. But you notice Matthew's sense here in Matthew 9, 19, or 9 verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And, and there's some criticism that he was getting, but you get the sense that Matthew was happy about having a party and inviting everyone Especially those who needed to hear about Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't tell Matthew, I want you to follow me, and the first thing I want you to do is go have a party. 
It was just a natural response of Matthew's end. It was something he desired to do. It was, it was just, God, this is what we do. I hang out with people, and this is how we get together. And you know what? You're really special, Jesus. You're, you're changing my life, and I want folks to hear about you. And so there, and this is why I, I think in our prayer this morning, we need to pray, God, let it not be a duty. Let it be a delight, a joy to be able to share what Jesus is doing in our life. And, and a lot of times it's just the joy of the Lord in our heart. I get to talk about Jesus. I get to respond to a question. I get to seek out where people are in their life. You can do that. You get to do that. So what if there's some criticism and embarrassment? That happened to Matthew. It was the religious group that come in. And I don't know how it is that they see this and aware of this, but they do. Uh, and so you get verse 11. The Pharisees saw this. I said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Really? I thought he was a, a godly man. Why is he doing that? It's interesting, it's the followers that get the question, not Jesus, but Jesus answers. So yeah, Matthew got criticism. Jesus got criticism. Disciples got criticism. But notice what was the result of this. Jesus answered it and did a powerful answer. But Jesus was the focus of the meeting. That's why it's better to seek followers of Jesus, not followers of the church. Let Jesus speak. Don't try to defend the church. Let Jesus just speak. He's worth defending. Jesus will defend the church. Ours is to speak for Jesus and let Jesus speak through us. And so Jesus is the focus of the meeting. Jesus, uh, sinners evidently confessed their sins and was able to receive some forgiveness to hear the gospel work of Christ. New believers met other followers of Jesus and were established in their new faith. Matthew grew spiritually and the critics were quieted. Yes, you might get criticism. But God can use that too. And notice what he says. Verse 13. Go and learn what this means. This was a typical rabbinic, uh, rabbi statement to teach his followers. And so Jesus is kind of demeaning them a little bit. And saying, you need to learn. Listen to me. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so he's quoting from, from Scripture itself. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, this steadfast love, the word for mercy. I, um, I was a couple weeks ago reached out to a, a couple. It dawned on me. This is a couple that had attended and uh, joined a few years ago. And just, I've been watching them slide off. You know, the various distractions of life. And I've been trying different efforts. Say, how can I get you guys back in our church? We need you there. You need to be there. And, and just several efforts. And I'm, you know, I know others have been doing the same. And just a, maybe three weeks ago, it just kind of clicked. Why am I trying to get them back to church? Because I'm a pastor of a church. Why don't I just instead work on getting them to Jesus? So I changed my 
strategy. I met with them and said, you know what? Don't worry about going to church for a little while. <laughs> Don't misapply that, okay? I want you instead to consider something. Would you just be willing to meet with me for a few weeks, for just maybe, let's try eight weeks, and let me just share some stories, some scripture with you, and ask some questions. We're not going to sing. We'll meet wherever you want. And if you know anyone else like that, why don't you invite them? So terribly change the strategy. I'm not trying to get them to church. Let me just help them see Christ. Let me take the time to do that. So I followed up with them. I said, yeah, I've been talking to a guy. He's interested also. So this other guy doesn't go to church. But seems to be interested in Christ. So I'm meeting with them. Um, this first conversation I had with them, we were in a restaurant. The restaurant has a bar. And so the thought crosses my mind. I said, well, you can meet wherever you want. You can meet at your house. You can meet at someone else's house. We can meet here. And I thought, what's going to happen if folks see me meeting in a restaurant with a bar with people? I promise I won't drink alcohol. <laughs> okay, it's not part of the deal here. But just that. Is that going to keep me? Or would it keep us? From sharing with folks about Christ. Somewhere along the line, we start thinking, you know what? I just don't want to frequent places like that because folks might think less of me. And I just want to bring to our statement here what Jesus says. Read it again. Verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I could make a, a sacrificial statement and say, you know what, I'm just never going to frequent any place that has a bar in it. And that's going to be sacrificial. Because I want to be set apart. I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I just don't want to darken those doors. Now, understand, I'm not coming from an alcoholic past. That's a different situation. But it sounds a lot like the Pharisees. When I make statements like that. When it at stake is an opportunity to share Christ with someone else. That was the very point that Jesus was getting at. He was there with the tax collector. He had all the, 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 the trappings of a sinful, greedy, Jewish, hating lifestyle. And Jesus is saying, I've come to change that. And mercy is the way it's going to happen. And so Jesus dared to go in those doors. Aren't you glad that God dared to come into the door of your life? I mean, if God maintained that attitude with us, I'm a holy God. I cannot stand to be in the midst of these people. And this, these are statements we hear. 
God could say that. But he humbled himself through Jesus Christ and said, I am entreating them, I desire them, I long for them to come and to know the forgiving grace of God. He comes to us, those of us who lived our lives selfish against God in a selfish-oriented heart. He comes to us. And says, will you not know mercy? Will you not know forgiveness? Let me show you the way. Because his righteousness was found in something more secure. Than whether or not he was seen at a known sinner's house. And so. When you go about this. And you seek developing relationships with people. Let love drive you. Let love drive you. To say, you know what? Let me meet with you wherever you are. Let me join with you. Let me demonstrate to you that I love you. That I care for you. Perhaps maybe they'll even invite us to their house. Imagine that. What if I asked you this question? How many of you have been invited to someone who's not a church member's house, who's not a follower of Christ? How many of you have been invited in this past year? You see how fewer hands are raised there? And that is perhaps one of the greatest expressions of the fact that we have a good relationship with them. They trust us. And so... Perhaps maybe what gets in the way more than anything else is our image. Our image. Do we care more about God's reputation, His kingdom, than our reputation, our kingdom? That's a tough question. But it's a question we must answer. Yes, you might get criticized, you might get embarrassed. But if you're doing this for Christ and you're able to expose people to Christ, you'll find that Jesus will be the focus. Sinners may confess their sins. They may receive forgiveness. Your growth will occur. New believers will meet other followers of Jesus. And let the critics be silenced by a new redeemed heart and praise of Jesus Christ. Let's do that. Fact of the matter is, it's not our methods, it's not our events that's going to draw people to Christ. All throughout Scripture, we find it's you, <laughs> it's people. We're constantly trying to make <laughs> carts to carry the presence of God to the people. And God doesn't want carts, He doesn't want programs, He doesn't want events, He wants you to carry the presence of God to the people. And so, you can do this. You don't have to be a great pastor or a teacher. You've already been taught how to be a Matthew. You've got friends. You've got a home place. You've got a room with a nice TV and chairs all waiting to be filled. You can give them refreshments. You can watch the program together and you can tell your story. Why should we not do that?